0: There are many kinds of sorrows on earth, but the deepest of all sorrows is when the heart loses Jesus and he's no longer seen and there's no hope of comfort from him. All comfort has gone. All joy is ended. There is no help from heaven or any creature. Those are the words of Martin Luther, the great reformer, reminding us of the ultimate loss in life. Now, none of us like loss. Let's face it, to lose something, whether it be your remote control or your phone, but I'm talking about those real deep losses in life like a loved one like a great friend, like a mom or a dad. As horrible and gut-wrenching as all that is, Martin Luther reminds us that the ultimate loss is when the heart, the soul has lost Christ. Now I remember the story of this young man who lost his mom and he had the difficult chore of trying to sort through her belongings after the funeral. And probably most, if not many of you, have have been there, and you know how challenging and difficult that is. And this young man had to sit and go through his mom's belongings and try to decide what he was going to keep and what he was going to have to give up. The emotions got to him, and he finally sat down in his mom's favorite chair. And as he was going through this box, he took a moment to break and he looked over and there by the table in his mom's favorite recliner was her bible and he grabbed the bible and he opened it up and he started noticing not only the bookmarks and pages that were worn but in the middle of it all there were these initials tp and it would be throughout the bible the old and new testament from place to place would he'd turn a page and there was this initial tp and he started thinking well who in the family has these initials tp But then when he got to the end of the Bible, flipping through, he noticed in the margins, he solved the problem, TP, friends, stood for tested and proven. And I believe today here in Matthew chapter six, take your Bible and put the initials TP out beside this passage of scripture because it's been tested and it's been proven. We're wrapping up here this Lenten journey that we've been on in this worship series called Fearless Prayer. Where we've been challenging everybody to go deeper in your prayer life, to find your prayer closet. To get your pads out so you can bend on your knees and go before God in prayer. So that you can really increase your prayer life, your relationship with God. And in this series, we've been telling people to take all your woes and worries, all your fears and frustration, all your problems, all your praises to God in prayer, and to go before God. Now, here we stand on the brink of another Easter, and friends, are we not standing in the Garden of Gethsemane? Just like in that day where... The troubled Jesus took those band of disciples. They went to the slope there on the western side. And looking down at Jerusalem there in that garden, it's a beautiful place. And Jesus there, knowing what he was facing, was so challenged. We stand among challenges today, do we not, as we see the people of Ukraine, as we see war and suffering, as we hear strife. Problems not only around the globe, but in our world, in our society, in our families, in our churches. Friends, we need God today. You need prayer. And so on this Palm Sunday, I take you there to this prayer And let me remind you today that wherever you are at in life, whatever's going on in your family and in your world, you can come to God in prayer. Every time you utter the words here and you pray this prayer and you seek God, you find something that is tested and it's proven. And we all need to be doing it more and more. is going to God in prayer. Now, I know today, unless you maybe have the King James Version of the Bible, this phrase that kind of wraps up the Lord's Prayer, you'll probably not find it there in a lot of the modern translations. And that's because some of the best manuscripts that are available back even into the third century seem to have not really included that part. And it was several years after the ministry of Christ, maybe a hundred years or so, that we found that this, uh, this phrase is included in a lot of the Christian teaching. But it's not something that's out of thin air. In fact, we find it really in Scripture. It's congruent with our beliefs and what we're all about. In fact, this phrase that we're going to focus on here for a moment this morning can really even be traced back to the prayer there of David at the end of Chronicles, 1 Chronicles 29, where he's containing much of this in the prayer after they've collected everything that they need to build the temple. And here we find ourselves today going before God as we are taking this prayer before the Lord. We find out the Lord's prayer here really ends the way it began. We began with, hallowed be thy name, and we end the prayer with, thine is the glory. We began with, thy kingdom come, and now we're saying, with thine is the kingdom. We began with, thy will be done, and we end with, thine is the power. We began on earth as it is in heaven, and now we say, forever and forever forever. And the last chord here of the Lord's Prayer really brings us to the very mountain peak of praise. And it really focuses our heart and our mind on the greatness of God. Jesus taught us the right place to begin prayer and taught us the proper way to end prayer. And we have discovered that no believer can really exhaust the meaning of prayer. No teacher can fully plumb the depths of these verses. No preacher can really expound the meaning of all of this text. Prayer leads us ultimately to the presence of God. In the last phrase here, I want to say to you, this really wraps up and really puts the exclamation point, if you will, on prayer. And really, let me say, on the life of a disciple. And I want to call it today the prayer of blessing. Because there are three components here that this this last phrase that we always share on a weekly basis, the Lord's Prayer really speaks about God's supernatural blessing here in these words. And it says, For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. And these words, kingdom, power, and glory, you might say, are really the secret sauce, the really special ingredient that ought to be seen in every true Christian follower's life. What does it mean to be a Christ follower? Well, number one, it says here that you're going to seek God's kingdom. You seek the kingdom of God if you're a Christ follower. Essentially, God blesses those who seek his kingdom. And the kingdom, as you know, is wherever Jesus is allowed to be king. So is the kingdom of God, is God? really king of your life? It means you make God's agenda your agenda. It means you make God's plans your plans. And you know what? It's been said, if you ever want to hear God laugh, tell him your plans. Because you know our plans never seem to go the way we want it to. And you know, seeking the kingdom of God means making God's will your will saying, God, I don't want you to bless what I am doing, but I want to be in the center of what you are blessing, oh God. It means caring about what God cares about. God blesses people who seek his kingdom. Now, let's get the big picture here. We're in the Sermon on the Mount in this portion, this amazing discourse that, that Jesus was giving there on the hillside, and I'm telling you, he if you look at the whole picture He's really concluding this passage of worry with a promise. And in fact, down at the end of this chapter, in verse 33, he just wraps it all up. And he said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all other things will be added unto you. And notice that phrase, all other things. Underline that in your Bible. What are these other things? Well, you've got to go back and read the prior 32 verses. It's all the things that we typically called life. It's all the things that threaten to weigh us down. It's all the troubles in this world. It's things like your happiness, your health, your relationships, your career, your vocation, your family. All these things that typically concern you. He says you don't need to worry if you just seek first my kingdom. Now I know whenever you mention the kingdom of God, um, you know, polls say everybody wants to go to heaven, but somehow people start getting jittery when you talk, start talking about heaven or the kingdom of God. I mean, the problem is you have to die to get there. And a lot of people don't get excited about that. But you cannot have a kingdom without a king. And God is king, king of the universe. King of all creation, king of the world, a sovereign God, and should be king of your life. And he's not running for re-election. He's the shepherd of the sheep. He's the potter, and we are to be the clay. He's the king, and we're the servants. And you can't have a kingdom without a king, and likewise, you can't have a kingdom without servants. The Bible says, he who is greatest among you is the greatest of all. Now I know you mentioned the word servant in the ordinary church of today and immediately you seem to create a stampede for the back door. People think of that word servant and it just conjures up this image of some pathetic creature virtually without any kind of will or purpose and dirty fingers and just kind of bent over, weary, exploited. And after all, we're living in a time where nobody wants to serve They want to be served. It's kind of like the guy that started a a job, and he was working, and uh, he would show up to to work the first three days late. And uh, the foreman on the job, he just kind of said, well, I'm going to read this guy the riot act if he shows up late the next day. And sure enough, he came in late, and he said, look here. Don't you know what time we get started around here? And he said, no, sir. They're always working when they get here. Nobody wants to be a servant. And when we do, everybody seems to want the credit. But let me remind you, you always need to go the second mile because it's never crowded. What great things God can do if people stop worrying about who's going to get the credit when the job is done. And the reminder here in this phrase and from this prayer and these words that Jesus gives us is that if you're a follower of Christ, you're to be a servant of God and to seek his kingdom. A second thing that you take away from this text is if you want God's blessing in life, not only do you seek God's kingdom, but the second thing is, is you depend on God's power. You depend on the power of God in your life and not on your own strength. God blesses you when you decide to depend on his power. Those beautiful words of Psalm 84, God, you bless all who depend on you for their strength. Let's face it, God doesn't bless those who exalt themselves. God doesn't bless the self-sufficient people. We figure we've got it all figured out and we can go our own way and do our own thing. Well, God's not going to bless those who Do it in their own strength. He doesn't bless people who say, I can go it without you, God. Many say society's real problem in our day is handling power. Stop and think about it. How so often power goes to the head and controls things in life? You know, ever since the news broke all the way back in that day of August 1945 when Enola Gay released that incredible bomb you know ever since then we who have never been able to handle power now had the power to destroy our civilization and now they tell us that the missiles that we have make those things back then look like firecrackers and it's really unspeakable and so we don't talk about it it's unthinkable and so we don't think about it And attempts through the years have been made to play it down, but scientists now, in some strange way, are the real fire and brimstone preachers, warning us that these things could get out of hand here, and they who know most fear most. And they call world to repentance and all people to live in peace, because if we don't, everything could be reduced to a graveyard. And you know what? Without the character of God to control power, you know what? You have to wonder. It's a formula for destruction. Technologically, we are in the space age, but morally, we're still at ground zero. We're in the stone age. And we have the power now in a button or in a key to create havoc on the earth, and yet this world is led by people who don't have the character of Christ. They don't have the foggiest idea how to control power. But I want to remind you today that power is not evil in and of itself. For Jesus preached a gospel of power. The kingdom of God was established in power. In Mark's gospel, chapter 9, the kingdom of God came with power. Jesus said, All power is given unto me. And to as many as believe, to them, he gave the power to become the sons of God. He told the disciples to tarry there in the upper room. Wait for the Holy Spirit. Dunamis, the power of God would fall upon you. God intended for his church to have power. But the problem is, in our day, is that the church, or many, have really become afraid of God's supernatural power. We have the form of godliness, but we deny the power of God. We deny his truth. We reject its deliverance. We turn against his salvation. We shun his healing. We have developed ritual without righteousness and hype without holiness, but in prayer... We affirm God is all-powerful, and if you are a Christ follower today, not only do you seek God's kingdom, but you depend on God's power. You invite the Holy Spirit into your life and allow the Holy Spirit to reside in your heart. And thirdly, part of the blessing here is not only about seeking the kingdom, depending on his power, But it's living for his glory forever and ever. You've got to decide in your life who is going to get the credit. Are you going to get the credit or are you going to give God credit? Psalm 115, precious words. God will bless everyone who honors him. And how do you do that? How do you give God glory? There's hundreds of ways that you can give God glory. The word that's being used here is that word doxa. And it really is the word that we uh, originates with doxology. And it's interpreted or translated glory and honor and majesty forever. Now, think about it for a moment. You're going to go home sometime this afternoon or sometime today. And really, however big or small your home happens to be, you inhabit your house. And when you walk inside, you see the walls which shape your space and you call it home, your humble abode, your wonderful haven of rest after a long day or a long week at work. It's a place you go to, to have your parties, to let your hair down, to watch your movie, to it's your place where you're the queen or you're the king. It's your domain. You know what? God lives in such a house. And it's called eternity. And in fact, Isaiah calls God the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, Isaiah 57. And eternity is forever. We're talking about ex nihilo. There never was a time when it was not. And when you finish praying the doxology of the Lord's prayer here, at the conclusion of this prayer, you're all set. You are ready with a big exclamation point. You don't have to worry about what's going to happen because you as a Christ follower are seeking the kingdom of God and all other things are going to be added unto you. And you're depending upon God to lead you and you're living for his glory. In Christ, it's revealed just how great God is. And all we can do is fall down on our knees and give God the glory and the honor that is due his holy name. For he is the mighty one, the king, the excellent one, and he's Emmanuel. When we exalt ourselves and our power and glory, we are simply headed to a world of distrust. But if we exalt God, he will exalt us. I held on to you while you held on to God. Every time we pray this prayer, we hold on to God. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Now, back in the 20th century, there was a guy that everybody loved to read. He went by the pen name of O. Henry, otherwise known as William Sidney Porter. And everybody seemed to really enjoy his Wit, his satire, all the things that he was able to get in the common life of ordinary people and provide such a twist and such a deeper understanding to life and his story. And people enjoyed him. But his life came to a close. And as he lay dying, reportedly his last words were to his nurse. And he said, Mary... Pull up the shades. I don't want to go home in the dark. Friends, nobody here wants to go home in the dark. And you need God in your life. I invite you today to receive God. To receive His Son, Jesus Christ.